Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today, my guest was Crystal Mobayeni. She, I'll let her introduce herself when the episode begins, uh, but we really tackle the question, can you grow while being yourself? And what is the relationship between growth and being yourself? Uh, we get into identity and a whole bunch of other things. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. If you do, please find us on iTunes by searching for Crazy Wisdom. Uh, we're also on Spotify, on Stitcher, all any place that you can listen to podcasts, that's uh, where we are. And if you really like it, please leave us a review. As always, I'm on Twitter at Stuart Alsop III. And if you enjoyed this episode, please reach out to me. My DMs are open. Um, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this episode and any of the other episodes. Now that we're out of the holiday season, I'll be publishing episodes every day. I've built up enough Spanish episodes now to start publishing in Spanish too, so i got to set up an iTunes account for the Spanish language podcasts I'm doing as well, and so look out for those. Yeah, and have a great day and wish you the best for your new year. Bye. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Crystal Mobayeni. She is the CEO at Bento Box. Uh, and what does Bento Box do, Crystal? And welcome to the show. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Um, Bento Box is a platform for restaurants, helps them grow their business online, helping them take ownership of their online presence, um, profits, and their customer relationships that they've lost through third parties like Seamless, Yelp, OpenTable. Um, so we provide them with their their website and help them actually monetize it. Uh, so you're essentially trying to give power back to the restaurant after a infrastructure shift has caused them to lose power. Yeah, I mean they've just been in, dis, uh, like disintermediated by all these different um, third party solutions that, like marketplaces, and it's it's frankly for businesses extremely difficult to run. And so we're trying to like give them back that relationship between the restaurant and the guest and um, give them like ownership over their, the, their revenue and their profits again Very so they cool. can survive. Cause I don't want to live in a world without restaurants and <laughs> <laughs> we, might, just, we might be heading that way. Yeah. Or just food delivered to your door that has no soul to it. Yeah. That's made by robots. Yeah. 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 And then the, and then the, the only thing that exists are basically like really high end restaurants where people want to, want to go back to that old time feel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so why this? Why did you start this? What, what, got, what got you into it? Well, my background, um, I've been doing web and product design my entire career. Um, I was at a point where I was um, just in terms of like the impact I was able to make was really just limited to kind of the, the time and, and energy and effort um, that I was able to put in on kind of like a single person basis and I was really looking to do something much bigger and so I had that in the back of my mind and I started working with restaurants on their websites and was building them sites on like WordPress and started learning about the pain points they were feeling as as technology was becoming more important in the dining out experience and how they were trying to solve it all through their website and um, and I as a service provider was having a really hard time giving them exactly what they were looking for with like all the horizontal platforms out there um, just was really cumbersome to, to customize and um, get to a place where it was really driving value for them so after working with a few restaurants and just seeing this pattern it was sort of a no-brainer to build something from scratch that addressed what they were looking for directly um, 
and um, and that was kind of like the first iteration of bento box back in back in 2013. And then um, I've never worked in a restaurant, which is really interesting for me to to say. Um, but I've always felt sort of this connection um, with the restaurant industry and the hospitality industry. I feel like it's like somewhere where as like a first generation American, um, my, my parents having like having one life with them like at home and then having this other life um, in school and with like friends, I felt like restaurants was, was, was the place where I was like able to connect with them um, on in kind of my world. Um, and so I've, I've had some of the most important um, best times of my life in restaurants. And I think a lot of us have. And um, so I felt like passionate about being able to, to help them when I, when I knew how to. Interesting. So you started off building some, uh, some websites for them or design uh, a product for them. And then you found this problem and, and realized that that problem that all of them shared it and started building it, building it for everyone, all the other restaurants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So just built like the platform um, to just do it at scale. And then, yeah, now we've, we've brought on almost like 5,000 restaurants onto the platform. So it's pretty exciting. Was it pretty simple for you in the beginning to go from like, I've got this one restaurant that I'm working with. This product is of interest to them to then like once, how did you do, how did you expand once you were outside of your network? Well, I didn't really, well, I guess um, a big one thing with restaurants is that they're a very, um, you know, connected industry. They're, they're very tight knit, Uh, actually a lot like the, like the tech industry in some way, but um, there's a lot, it's an industry of like sharing, like different people who work at certain restaurants go and work at other ones. And so a lot of our early growth was just word of mouth and just doing right by one restaurant, treating them well, um, and giving them a good product and good service. And then them, you know, telling their, their buddies about it. And, um, and then also on the bottom of the websites, it said powered by Bento Box. And so that sort of like caught on in this, in this viral way. But, you know, we didn't have like, you know, shooting out the last growth in the beginning. We grew pretty like organically and slowly over the first year, year and a half of, of the business. And then, um, and then as we started getting traction, it got like more and, you know, it just started like growing much more ex- exponentially. Hmm. Interesting. What has been the hardest problem about for you personally or professionally as uh, you grow? Like what is the most difficult, difficult thing about growing that they didn't really, nobody really told you beforehand? That's a good question. Um, I would say I I would bring up two things. One is um, finding a type of leadership that felt very like authentic to who I was and who I am um, and what that looked like and, and, um, and learning that there is some sort of um, version of that that doesn't look like you know, what you read in TechCrunch or see like in, on videos that, that is, that can be successful. And, um, that's very unique to me. Um, my background being in design, it was, I was like a very introverted, pretty understated, restrained type of person. And, um, and when it came to like motivating big groups of people or fundraising, I, I didn't think I was going to be able to succeed by being 
essentially who I was that I needed to become some other person um, to be able to like be successful in that. And, um, and in some ways I did have to change a lot and grow and like face these things that were like, you know, I justified as my personality, but maybe we're maybe fear-based, you know, and, uh, and had to like face some of those, those, um, you know, my own shit for lack of a better word. But, um, but yeah, I think ultimately it's, it's good. And, and I feel like I've found like my groove and, and the way that I like to lead that works. Um, but that's been like really hard and it's, and it's a constant evolution. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing I would say is that like just the phases that a, that a company goes through um, and that like right when you feel like you're, you're getting the hang of something mm-hmm. and the people that you have around you is, is like right and it's working, it's, it's, it's about to change and like <laughs> everything needs to change. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and yeah, and I, and I think that when it comes to the people part is like really the hardest because you have these like really great people that are with you from the beginning and super loyal and hardworking. And, and, um, and then as the company grows, things change and you need like a different set of people. And it's like, what, you know, how do, how does the, how do like all the, the early team members like evolve and, and grow with the company. And if they can't, if they can't evolve or can't grow, then they don't really have a place in the organization either. Right. Yeah. And it gets hard, you know, but I think the most important thing is to just be like super transparent, have an open dialogue and, and it's, and have them be part of the conversation. And so it's, no one is, is, is feeling left out or blindsided by anything. And that's like Mm -hmm. kind of the best you can do. Mm -hmm. Um, When you started talking about the way that as soon as you've got it figured out, it's going to change. Uh, I feel like that's my entire life right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, so why don't you tell me? Yeah. Yeah. Wait. Wait a minute. Tell me a wait, wait a minute. This is, <laughs> <Tell me. laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm. I'm I, I, lo- I love to love to share what what's going on with me. It's just yeah. It's that you described it pretty pretty accurately. It's like I think I have a hold on something. I think I have a a way. I I think my model of reality is matching it, and I know what I need to do. And then all of a sudden, something else happens where it's just like, um, where it's like, oh, it's not that. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's this essential. And you know, before we were talking, you said you didn't uh, talk. You, you don't know much about philosophy, but we're about to go right into it. But because uh, oh, no. uh, <laughs> because we have this model of the world, the way the world works, but then reality is nonlinear, and our minds are oftentimes linear, or parts of it are linear. Um, and this is very relevant to. Re- entrepreneurship as well because you're building something that is essentially you're trying to get the truth of what of what of what it is a restaurant wants and the truth of how an organization can supply that um and the truth can sometimes be very just stark and harsh and 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 uh, and not necessarily clear and you have to do a bunch of experiments to figure it out Um, and it's the same with life if we're being very very honest with ourselves and if we are accepting the the uncertainty inherent in life uh we are going to it's essentially always changing and always mutate mutating and stuff like that so um yeah Yeah. i find it i don't know if you have anything to say on that yeah i mean i think that um i think you're right about that i mean i think you summed it up pretty well and and um i think it's like just being in a 
once you sort of like accept that and just, I mean, it's, 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 um, being comfortable with like the idea that you're not going to be able to control everything. And as things get more complicated, you're going to have like less and less control and, and just being comfortable in that. Cause otherwise you're going to lose your mind. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I hear, hear you say that, it's like, as a child, I kind of like shied away from it, but it, you know, I, I think it's pretty common to, to most people to like shy away from the thing that is the most dangerous and the thing that's always changing and the, the uncertainty. Uh, but then now as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that the more and more I look directly at it and say, this is where I'm headed. And it's like, even though I'm really scared of this, this is, this is where I'm placing my eyes and placing my attention because that's the thing that can both offer the opportunity and can also offer the danger. And if I just blind myself to it, that's not good for anyone. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And the more that I do that and the more that I adopt that attitude, the more flow like life becomes, the more opportunity for fear comes up, but the more, uh, yeah. the more, uh, the more I'm able to, to roll with it and kind of just kind of like keep going, um, and without it getting yeah. me down and without it getting me stuck. Um, yeah. 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 It's a, it's like when, uh, one common question that like anyone will ask, um, to someone like me or in my role is like what what are the challenges what are like the biggest hurdles and it's and I I can never I oh, every time I'm talking through like what the challenges are I'm like no but these are opportunities you know uh, it's just yeah. like I, by the time I get to the second one I'm like but this is a huge opportunity it's like that yeah it's challenging but that's it's kind of fun so what are the challenges that you're facing right now <laughs> <laughs> come on <laughs> really is that, is that a serious question <laughs> yeah, we can go yeah. somewhere else but i'd love to hear it <laughs> what are the opportunities yeah. you're facing <laughs> um i mean i think that like the um i think that i feel like i'm going to be like repeating myself with the with the what has been like the hardest thing in oh, yeah. Business. Yeah. i think i think the the growth the growth and the, the the change and especially the people part is is um you know, we've just, we've drilled a little bit over a hundred people and there's all those sayings about like all the things that happen when you reach a hundred people and, and those things are, are right. And it's like a different organism that you're dealing with and it truly becomes an organism. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then it's like just the, the sh- strategies that like, you know, that we've been doing for, you know, the first three, four years, like some of them don't work anymore and you got to try new stuff and you don't know what's going to work. And you're, um, you have like a little bit less wiggle room in terms of like, once you get bigger in terms of like throwing shit on a wall and see what sticks, you can only get away with that for a certain amount of time. And then you kind of start, got to start like knowing what you're doing. Mm. And yeah, so let's t- have a conversation about that. I, I, first, I'd love to just kind of share a little bit about what I've learned about that number, about the, the 150 is about the number of, uh, is the Dunbar number. Uh, yeah. And that's the size at which we had grown up in evolution in terms of our largest kind of social network whenever went above 150. Um, and I've been reading this great book called Behave by Robert Sapolsky. And he talks, he gave me this really, really interesting fact is that we have this part of the prefrontal cortex called the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. And that part is essentially the the area of the brain that's associated with the gut feeling. And it's also the area huh. of the brain that's associated with our social and emotional decision-making. Um, so huh. if you, if you take that part out uh, and people have had that part out, they uh, are not working or if you somehow turn it off, uh, people will, 
basically make really, really, really bad decisions when it comes to other people or when it comes to emotions. Um, and, Fascinating. and there's another, this, this, this one is the most interesting part is that that part of the brain is high. The wiring inside of it is very, very dependent on how large somebody's social network is. Um, and that even more so that they did studies on, on, on primates and they either put them in large groups or smaller groups. And you can actually train that part of your brain to grow as you grow with more people. So in somebody like you, how many, how many direct reports do you have right now out of the hundred people? I think I have, I want to say eight, maybe. You have eight. And then, and then do you spend your time? Do you see each new hire? Yeah, I have a 90 day check-in with every person that starts at the company. So yeah, and then so yeah, you are basically you are basically training your ventral medial prefrontal cortex. Not, <laughs> only, not only that, you have your company that you're you're running. You also have your social life as well, uh, and so it's, yeah. it's well, it's, that's non-existent now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, but don't Sorry, you have to talk to customers? But you have to talk to customers as well, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. I, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's above yeah, it's above yeah. 150. Um, and yeah. the and I I have the same thing because I have a podcast and I I might even have more because I'm. I, I, maybe probably not actually, but, uh, but I'm, I'm talking to new people every day. Uh, and, and it's interesting. And it's also, this part is also developed. It's also clearly, um, implicated in our theory of mind and our theory of mind is our essentially of how well we can model someone else's mind, uh, and predict their behavior. Um, and so it's really interesting. You're getting one of the best brain trainings, uh, possible right now, but the most interesting thing is as this, as the organization grows, then it's like, um, there's a certain point which it, it just gets so big that it turns into this giant ship. Uh, and then what yeah. I learned from my uncle, my uncle, he took his company all the way from uh, IPO or from start all the way to IPO. And, um, and what I learned from him is that the real trick is the, is the, is while well, things are good to set up the organization in a way that, so that everybody knows when it goes bad, uh, this is what's going to happen. Like you were saying that transparency stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. know to what I said, but be curious to hear what you, what you think about the rest. Well, going back to your bit about what is that front part of the brain called? Uh, ventromedial prefrontal cortex. Right, right, right. Um, it's interesting. There's like a, something I've been saying a lot recently as we've been like trying to like operationalize and, and get our processes down and like start making like, you know, data back decisions and stuff like that is I've been saying like, you know, we can't keep running this company off my intuition, but maybe that is maybe that's a, maybe that's not right. Maybe I'm setting myself up for failure by thinking that that is, um, cause, cause you know, the intuition's gotten us pretty far in reality. Well, um, and, and there's a great, there's a great book if you want to get into that called uh, Daniel Kahneman and it also, it, the behave part also, there's another part of the brain called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is the uh, rational logical thing. Um, and if you take that out of people, out of, out of people, uh, people are, are uh, just make really bad decisions with logical, logical decisions. Um, and so, you, yeah. yeah, you can balance them. So it, and it's always a matter of balancing, like, uh, you have the intuition, but then you have the, then you have the, the, the rational part and then you have other people's rational part and then you can balance it against groups. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's very easy in this, like, where we are with having 
access to so much information to forget how like powerful just like that gut feeling can be, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any um, practices or do you have any ways to set it up in your life that you kind of take some time to yourself? Um, you said you were introverted, but do you, do you make it a practice to kind of take your time, your own time? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I'm the type of person that just like, if I haven't had time alone over a week, I will, I'm like starting to like become like a useless person. <laughs> so I just, you know, and it doesn't even, I don't even have to be like doing anything, but just like no human stimulus outside human mm-hmm. stimulation is mm-hmm. like really important. Um, exercise is like super important. I was a, I grew up like being like a, a gymnast, like a state champion gymnast. So I really put like, I think a lot comes out when I, when I exercise mm-hmm. and move my body. Um, and um, I hope I, as I get older, I don't, I don't lose that because it's really important. Um, but yeah, those are the main things I've, I've sort of, I, I was doing like pottery for a while, which I really loved. It was like super meditative and mm-hmm. just, I, I loved it. It was amazing. And then I moved and I got further from the studio and I fell out, but I really need to get back, need to get mm-hmm. back into it. So I'd like have you to done pottery before. I have never done pottery. No, I, I, and I have no interest whatsoever in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, wait, sorry. I have done pottery. I just had a memory. I, I have done, I have done like one or two things and that might be why I don't have an interest in it. Cause I think it was a traumatic <laughs> experience. Yeah. 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 Do you not like doing things you're not good at? Uh, yes, I, that has been a that has been a thing that that in the past has 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 uh, and, and particularly like those memories of me not being able being good at it in childhood have then got into adulthood. Um, and so it's like I yeah. avoid those things that that I was once you know a seven year old was was bad at and for some reason got scarred for life. But um, but I've, <laughs> I've I've started to change that that thing so now i actually I'm, I'm doing a lot of things that i once traditionally thought i was bad at um which it, yeah. which brings to mind a good question uh people are always saying particularly in in entrepreneurship that you should focus on your strengths and when i whenever i hear that i'm like okay well yeah i guess you can focus on your strengths a lot but if you never focus on your weaknesses you aren't like a full human being and now i want to ask yeah. you what do you think about that conundrum between focusing on your strengths and fo- and improving your weaknesses Hmm. I think that it's, uh, I'm the type of person that loves finding places where I'm weak and like forcing myself to get better at them. Um, so I, I think that it's like exploiting your strengths is like the way I'd like to think about it. And then like strengthening your weaknesses. I think that there's, um, I also think you can use your strengths to get through your weaknesses as well do you have an example of that um let me let me try to think like i'm i've never been like a very i've become like a pretty analytical person but i've never been like i i wasn't you know i didn't go to school for finance i've like never worked in finance and and or you know math was like fine um and uh but i've needed to get like really good at it um just the nature of what i do and i was sitting in this uh and uh and i found myself being able to like spot patterns really easily when it comes to data in this like really weird way that i never understood and just like have this 
weird way of like remembering information and being able to just like access it like whenever I need. And, I, and I've never quite understood it. And a few years ago, maybe it was like actually 10 years ago, I was at South by Southwest and I was sitting in this, um, this talk. It was some kind of like something about like neuroscience or in the brain. I don't even remember what the topic was exactly, but the, the guy was talking about this like thing called synesthesia where, mm-hmm. you know, you associate these like different elements, um, like these, these secondary characteristics to things like numbers and letters and dates and um, that like helped you use information in like a, a more creative way. And I turned to my friend, I was like, oh, doesn't everybody do this? And she was like, she was like, no. And then she's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, wow, okay. And I started getting really interested in it and reading about it a lot. And then I started like using it to like do the thing that I'm like not that good at. And I've just found ways to be better at like analyzing data or like um, remembering like chunks of like information or finding patterns in like in in financial models or uh, that that I'm it's not really like what I'm comfortable doing but I've started realizing that this is like this tool I have that like nobody else has or few people have um, that I can use to my advantage in that way does that make sense absolutely uh, and it brings to yeah. mind my own well it brings to mind a conversation I had with somebody yesterday who, who and we came to the conclusion that most great entrepreneurs are of have three different things that they that drive them. One is they're an immigrant. Um, the number two is that they are neurodiverse, uh, and number three is they have some sort of great trauma that is uh, uh, is driving them forward, a chip on their shoulder. Uh, and I would say that all three of those are kind of related. Uh, um, uh, maybe even the neuro, uh, the the connection between the neurodiverse part and the immigrant part, probably not so much, but maybe. Um, um, well, maybe maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the immigrants who do move somewhere are neurodiverse um, because they yeah. wouldn't move somewhere else. And I, actually, I'd, I wanted to ask you that because you mentioned you're first first generation, right? Yeah. And how has that uh, like? I mean, what what culture did your parents come from? Uh, my parents were from Iran and they came to the States like right before the revolution happened. And um, they were going to go back to Iran. My father was studying here. And then, um, and then when the revolution happened, they ended up staying. I have the story of how they ended up pulling that off is very murky, but, uh, (laughs) but (laughs) I'm very grateful for whatever happened. And then growing up, um, growing up and, and, and I've always been interested in it cause I never did that. You know, I, I'm, my parents are, are American well, go, you know, going back a long time and, and, I, but I, but I lived in other countries. So I've had an immigrant experience of moving to another country, but that was in my twenties. I didn't grow up yeah. in another country. And so I'm always interested. My nephew right now, he's, he's, his father is from Tunisia, was born in Tunisia. And so I see it in him. I can see him having these, this type of influence, but I'm always, mm-hmm. I'm always interested in other people. What it, I mean, and it's hard to ask this question because it's like, you know, what is it? What was it like as opposed to what, you know? <laughs> uh, but but w- w- how, did, how did growing up with one culture at home uh, and then you go outside and all your friends are, are from other cultures or from, from, from American culture, how did that kind of affect you as a person? Yeah, I mean, well, I think that 
there are some like really obvious things I think all in first generation Americans have, which is like must be successful, cannot mm-hmm. like waste this opportunity, like so much just like I don't want it guilt isn't the right word, but like just must make the most of this opportunity that was given. Otherwise like you're just letting these people down, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's there's that. And then um I think there's just a lot of um figure out how to say this it's like it's almost like you're you have this like alien culture and then you have like the regular culture and you're constantly in your mind trying to like just match Mm. these up not just in your mind but also socially you know and um I think one this is like a very superficial example of this but it's like you know I remember like um my like my parents would like send me to school with like food that was like you know Persian food that was like pretty weird and all the other kids have like these like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and it's like you're like why do I have to eat this weird food and everyone else gets like peanut butter and jelly and turkey sandwiches and I I have this like weird like thing that I and should I hide it how do I explain it like how do I explain to these kids what these weird beans are like it's like and you're constantly like managing that and you're starting to, I mean, maybe that's where like the chip on the shoulder comes from, you know, mm-hmm. just like trying to figure out like how not to be weird mm-hmm. and like fit in um, when you have this whole other like culture that they don't understand that you're like managing and you're a part of and, 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 it, and it's home to you also, yeah. you know? So yeah, it's like, it's super, it's super complicated when you're a kid. And so for me, I am very neurodiverse. I, I think pretty differently from a lot of a lot of people around me, and and um and that would show up for a lot when I was a child. And that would that would I, I got that same experience. And maybe that's why I went to other countries was because I'm kind of I feel like an, I felt like an outsider when I was a kid. And then I yeah. actually just made that very clear when I went and lived in another country. It was just like that. I'm very much an outsider, and I feel comfortable in that. Um, but. Yeah. But that, yeah, that neurodiversity thing, it's the same thing. It's like, I I just, I would, I would say things that would be non sequiturs or that people wouldn't really know how to place, which is funny because now I'm doing a podcast and now I'm like, and part of it allows me to go off on these random trains of of thought that are are interesting and applicable. And I I hope they're interesting. Um, And I've been, it's been part of my, my, I've been doing this for about a year and a half now. And the first year I was definitely thinking like, no, no, nobody's going to find this interesting. I'm just going off on really weird tangents, but there, there are people who are, who are finding it interesting, but um, yeah, yeah. This is the most interesting podcast I've ever done. Cool. Have you done a bunch? <laughs> I've done, yeah, I've done, I mean, not too many, but I've done a lot of like, you know, business focused ones where, you know, the questions are, what are the biggest challenges you're facing right now? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> But I do also think that there was something about the the interesting thing was that I grew up speaking Farsi at home Mm. um, and I never learned to read or write it because there was no need for me to do that. And then, so I'm like completely illiterate. I know this language that I, that has literally no, no like written like version, you know, to me. Mm. And then I would learn how to like read and write at school and, you know, and, um, and do math and with like another language with characters. And I I have a feeling that this like idea of like synesthesia maybe like for me developed um, from that because I was, because I, 
because I think as a child that might, must have been like really weird. Like I, I communicate this one way at home, I communicate this other way mm. out in the world. And then that's associated with these, sh- these shapes and these like characters. And that's so weird because in this other world it isn't. And I maybe needed to like associate some different like character, like human like characteristics. So I could like learn that, mm-hmm. you know what I'm, you know what I'm getting at there? Yeah. I think it was, I think it was, probably a product of like having to like navigate all that we could i love love going down this this rabbit hole of symbols and uh so we you know it was really hard for me when i was younger it was one of the most traumatic experiences i have is learning how to write um and transform it like that whole symbol thing of like putting a symbol on paper that represents this letter or the sound almost, and like that connection was so hard for me to get. Um, and cursive, for some reason, was really difficult as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, good thing you don't need that anymore. Yeah, right. Right. Um, <laughs> and then, and the way we use symbols as human beings, and you've got you know math, which is this whole other kind of way of putting symbols together. Um, and I really wish education, I had better education in terms of math because now I'm really getting interested in it. I find it lacking my, my ability to use those symbols. Um, and, yeah. uh, and it is, and I really, really interested in this interplay between the symbols that we use and what effects it has on our, our brains because language itself is a tool. And then I think yeah. it was like 6,000, 7,000 years ago, somewhere, I'm not sure on that number, but we started to develop the actual written language and the written language primarily was more most for accounting, but then uh, started to get into spirituality as well and religion uh, and mm-hmm. started to be able to express our thoughts, not only in present time, but in future time as well. Uh, we would able to, you know, community, you know, like Plato is communicating with us today from, from back then. Um, and it's so interesting, these symbols that we use, yeah was that was your like was that struggle that you had with with like writing and symbols and like putting that together was that something that was like actively talked about and worked on or was it something that you like kind of had to like deal with on your own at that time when it started showing up i had to deal with it on my own but then i, I had enough behavior problems that all of it became under a, a, a spotlight um so so then it, it was talked about a lot but but and that was i think one of the issues though was that it was because I, I i have a big <laughs> a big chip on my shoulder about modern education <laughs> uh, and, uh, and the way it worked because like the stuff there like cursive like that that example it's like i've not used cursive in a long long time and and i, I so yeah i have and it's coming up right now. It's like this, 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 uh, there's a lot of, it's just like, I was so interested in so many different things. And then school tried to say that I had to learn these things. Uh, and then I didn't like that. Um, and so, and then the, and then the, yeah, there was, there was a lot of talk about it and I would never do my homework. And, um, and so then I eventually got sent to schools that, that were, supposed to solve that but i i went out in the end and i ended up uh uh getting my ged uh and I've, i dropped out of all high schools and stuff like that and so um, wow yeah. nice nice you really showed them yeah i grew up i grew up um you know i think i and i don't know if this is a common immigrant type of thing um or if it's certain ones but definitely grew up in a house where there was 
zero acknowledgement or mm-hmm. on about like if you had any sort of like behavioral mental emotional type of like deficiency it's like that does not exist you can like get through anything yourself and um and uh mm-hmm. and yeah and i just yeah, and, it, and it's weird that that kind of thing like kind of sticks with you, even though I know as a concept that is like completely false, you know, and um, it's but I like the last thing I'll do if there's something wrong with me is go to a doctor. It's like I just I'm like, no, I don't I can solve it all myself. You know, there's no, <laughs> but and that's just so flawed and so, so problematic. And you don't have to answer this question, but uh, have you tried therapy or tr- coaching or anything like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm a huge believer believer in it and I think that I had when I was growing up I think that I had like severe ADHD and I and it was just like that was not an option and then when I got to college and it was like that was like accessible I was like oh wow I actually like can like focus and I can do things I can follow through and I can like finish things and mm-hmm. and um and uh started just learning that like yeah, maybe my mind did have some, well, I don't know if my mind has some deficiencies. I think we live in a world where a certain kind of like cognitive function is successful. And if you don't, if your mind doesn't maybe think in that way, then you're like operating at a deficiency. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And this is a hypothesis I have partly, which I just came up with, but the, 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 that school is that you know when you're in it and you've got a teacher who's got 20 or 30 students and there's one of the students who's just like making connections that are really different than the rest of the students that becomes a problem for them so if they're not really 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 on it in terms of how they teach that student the student is going to get the idea that they're weird um yeah and like and and so it's not it may not even be a conscious thing i don't know i think don't think a lot of things are conscious but i i, I think it's a, a byproduct of just uh, that, you know, you've got 20 or 30 kids in the school. It's the same thing. I I've taught uh, yoga classes before. And if I'm one-on-one with an individual, I can give them exactly what they need in terms of their body and everything like that. But if I have a, yeah. if I have 20 people in front of me, I'm, I can't, and I see somebody struggling to do this one pose, I can't tailor the whole class to that one person. I have to, I have to tailor it to the mean of the entire, of the entire class. Um, right. And so it's, 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 it's just a, a product of the way that the system is set up in terms of, and this is what I'm really excited about in terms of education is that, is that we're going to get to the point. Well, I had already at the point where a motivated student, one well, I didn't even mean to say student, a motivated uh, person can go on and learn whatever they want at any time. And they want, like, I'm spending like two hours a day on YouTube, just like learning about this different stuff. And that's available <laughs> to like a seven-year-old, seven-year-old's able to do that now. Whereas like before, I could have done that if I went, and I did do that when I went to the school libraries and looked at the encyclopedias and stuff like that. But all of that's just like immediately there, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that is that is really cool. Are you doing, are you doing like work in education? Uh, I want to, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, part of my goals with this podcast is to uh, network the global rise of innovation and technology outside of silicon valley um and so uh and a a large part of that and i want to do specifically i want to focus on technology in developing countries and uh yeah and and education is a huge thing that's going to 
the way that education, the technology and education are about to be combined in places like Brazil or Africa or other places is going to be really interesting. Um, so I, I, it yeah. is a part of what I want to do. And actually, I'm sorry, and I'll, I'll, there is actually a business I'm starting, which is, is um, offering online courses to distributed teams um, where distributed teams have a problem and then I'll find somebody, uh, an expert in that problem to come in and basically do a similar thing with the podcast, but, but to offer that to, uh, to distributed teams and, and like basically help them solve a problem by finding somebody else who solved that problem and then transferring that knowledge from them to their team. That's excellent. That's mm -hmm. really awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Um, great. Yeah. So, uh, what else we got? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> reached a point where there was no other no other line of line of train but i could come up with one uh no that's yeah. okay i think it's been a great conversation yeah what um so well okay so we'll take like five more minutes and usually by this by the end i've gotten a sense of your expertise uh and then we'll we'll, we'll i'll ask you a question that will kind of uh get the essence of that out for for my listeners and it sounds like something with this synesthesia. And so if somebody's listening today who might be younger from the age of like 18 to 24 or something like that, and has spent the last 18 years of their lives thinking like an outsider, what would you tell them to say, Hey, like, how would you, what would you offer them as a piece of advice in terms of what they can, how they can view that in order to turn it into an advantage? Really, that's a really good one. I mean, I think the ah, this is really tough. I don't think I'm gonna say anything that's gonna change anyone's life, but I think that just like pushing yourself to do things that like you're scared of, um, that feel like totally like not not intuitive is the only way that you're gonna be able to like use all those like special parts of you to be able to like reach some goals that feel like you that are completely like unobtainable you know and I think you just gotta like be very I think there's a lot of people who are very risk averse but I think just getting comfortable with taking risk and being scared and and that that's not like that's not a sign of like weakness is is a really powerful thing and it's not something that I even think that I'm that great at I'm just like starting to learn that um but the more that you try to like hide the thing that makes you an outsider but like the the more you're gonna end up feeling like that for the rest of your life mm -hmm. yeah so essentially exposure therapy which which I've been reading is is actually one of the best ways that we can deal with our fears is is find a controlled calculated way to take one little tiny part of that fear and turn it into something manageable and then expose yourself to that and then go a little bit larger and find a bigger one. And then, and then, and I've, I've been using that and that it has been highly effective, particularly for me for, yeah. for dancing was the one that that was the. Oh, talking, really? Yeah. Talking about the things that I was bad at when I was younger. Um, That's so cool. scarred me. Yeah. So dancing has been a huge one. And also in terms of movement, you mentioned movement. Um, if you want to stay, I have, a, I have a, another hypothesis that dancing is probably the most effective way to remain limber and uh, uh, active in old age because running can only wor work, I think, up until your 30s or 40s. 
uh, and uh, yeah. dan- uh, whereas dancing, it's like so gentle. It's like walking, but in different ways. And so like walking is linear and dancing yeah. is nonlinear. And so uh, it allows, a, and there's something that's happening in my brain as I go more and more into dance. It's this expressive thing that I can express myself, even in my words and my, my other things. It's like dance is helping me to do that. And so it feels like it's establishing plasticity in a way that's really healthy for the long term. Um, so yeah, just offering that as a, if you're interested in, in an yeah. exercise that you can do for a long period of time, dancing is a great one. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the thing that like, I would say brought, brings me the most fear has is like actually like a verbal communication, especially mm. like larger, like even, even in like one-on-one situations, always like being worried. I can't think I can't come up with the words fast enough or, um, and I always like thing. I was like, I wish I could just communicate by doing like interpretive dance, you know, <laughs> I feel like that's like, I wish, I wish I could do that. Um, but, Have you ever taken an improv class, a comedy improv class? No, I would, that it, it sounds like something I would absolutely hate. So I should definitely do it. <laughs> yeah. Basically the theme of our conversation is that you, you have to do comedy improv because that, uh, that is the, by far the, the, that issue that you were saying, I, I ha- have it and had it as well. Um, but now I don't have it because first, com- well, actually first, because I started this podcast, but then second, because of comedy improv, um, it huh. allowed me to get it because that inner critic, that voice that you mentioned, like that's the exact thing you deal with improv and improv it like you just get practice being like that, that voice is lying to me. Um, and, and <laughs> that, it, yeah, it's, it's a creation. It's, it's an imagination. Wow. It's, yeah. Getting in the way. That's great. That's mm-hmm. great. That's a great takeaway for me from this. Cool. <laughs> Yeah. Well, cool. So how can people find out more about what you're doing and, and Bento Box? Yeah, just getbento.com mm-hmm. is is where Bento Box is at. I I want I need to be tweeting more, but mm-hmm. I'm not, but I'm at Crystal Moby all one thing, you know. Probably won't be able to spell that, but you know. Well, what what we can do is what I like to do at the end of the show is I I'm I'm going to I'm going to tweet that we had this conversation and I'm going to turn our conversation into three questions like that define our conversation. Um, and it would be yeah. awesome if you could reply to that tweet with three uh, questions that you think defined our, our conversation so we can get that contrast. Love it. Yeah. Perfect. I'll have to think of my questions before you send yours though. Of I'm course. Not influenced by them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Thanks so much. Yeah, of course. This has been a great pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Crystal. I am releasing episodes every day, Monday through Friday. As I mentioned in the intro, I'm going to be starting to publish my episodes in Spanish as well. So if you speak Spanish, uh, the first thing you can do is find us on Twitter at GetCrazyWisdomESP. Actually, I'm sorry. It's at crazy wisdom esp again at crazy wisdom esp esp is for espanol and you can follow us there and i'll be publishing my episodes in spanish there i'm going to try to keep the languages separate i've been having a great time here in medellin talking to a lot of people and one of the most interesting things that's been happening is that i have been having learning new things in new languages uh, and then converting that knowledge back into english so that is a trip Um, and I would like to invite you on that trip, particularly if you're learning Spanish as well. If you're learning Spanish, this is good. I've always found when I was first learning Spanish, 
it was very important for me to listen to native speakers of English who are learning Spanish uh, because it's much easier to understand because of the accent, because they speak much slower. And uh, so if you're learning Spanish, it might also be helpful to uh, listen to those episodes as well. Have a great day.